We're talking about family. Today, I want to speak under the subtitle, The Need for Restoration in the Family. The Need for Restoration in the Family. When you read from Genesis 1 to Genesis 4, you see the beginning of the family, which began in the Garden of Eden. But then as you go to Genesis 4, you see families start to disintegrate because of the coming in of sin. God is the author of family, and he is the one who started family in the first place. He took his creation, Adam and Eve, who were sinless, who were perfect, and put them in the Garden of Eden, where there was all that they needed to sustain them. I think the greatest blessing in the Garden of Eden was their spiritual connection with their creator. They were alive spiritually because their insights came from the breath of God. They had a connection with God, fellowship with God. They were vibrant spiritually, understood the things of God, walked in the things of God, experienced the anointing. And God had given them an instruction to say, do not eat of the fruit of this particular tree, for in doing so, you will die. In fact, in the Hebrew, it reads, do not eat of the fruit of this particular tree, for in doing so, in dying, you will die. Which leaves the understanding that the death that God was referring to wasn't just one kind of death or one type of death, but it would be different kinds of different types of death. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the first death they experienced was spiritual death. And by the way, the word death in the Bible, in its definition, it doesn't mean to cease to exist. That's not what it means. The word death in the Bible simply means separation. So when Adam and Eve died spiritually, it is when their spirit was separated from the life and the nature of God. And so in their spirit, they couldn't commune with God anymore. They couldn't understand the things of God anymore. They couldn't operate in the anointing anymore. Being dead spiritually, they couldn't understand the ways of God. They couldn't understand the things of God. Being dead spiritually, they experienced fear in their spirits. They experienced condemnation in their spirit. Being dead spiritually, they experienced a separation between them and God as though God is far away from them. That's what happened when they sinned. That was the first death that they died. And in them dying spiritually, that opened a door for physical death to come in later. In fact, when you read the Bible, you note in the book of Genesis, people lived until they were 990 whatever years old. And as you read on and on, you note that the age of people for dying seems to get shorter and shorter and shorter. Why? Because a sin permeated human beings and gone into the system of human beings. It resulted in death and physical death being even in more manifestation such that you find that people now began to experience uh, physical death. But you know, Adam and Eve had disobeyed God when God had put them in a beautiful garden of Eden with, first of all, like I said, the greatest gift of all to have fellowship with God, a relationship with God. To be alive spiritually, of course God gave them food, God gave them resources, and, and, and I don't know why in the Garden of Eden there were pearls and, and gold, and, and I think God knew Eve was going to be there. I don't know. That's not what the Bible says, but I think Eve, I don't know if she used to tweeze, but maybe not tweeze, if we don't know, but whatever it is, God provided. And so, with the sin of Adam and Eve, then not only did death come into their family, as a couple, not only did bad things happen among them, but we even see things spreading to their children, such that the family on its own ended up being in trouble. Man became a sinner. Psalms 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You and I, if we want to be honest about it, we are just born as sinners. Nobody has to teach us to sin. You don't have to teach a child to lie or teach a child to steal. You don't have to teach a child to be jealous, short-tempered, 
You don't have to teach a child to be unforgiving. They just do. It's like we have an inborn default mechanism to do what is wrong. You know that. You've tried to stop doing what you're doing before you became a Christian. You promised people. You even said to God, 10 Holy Bible, I won't do this again. And as soon as you promised, you did the same thing that you said you won't do. Mankind has no power within themselves to transform their lives. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need to receive Christ and he must change us. But man was born in sin. Not only that, man's mind became defiled as we see in, first, in Titus chapter 1 verse 15 and it says, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and the unbelieving is nothing pure, even their mind and their conscience is defiled. People's minds started being defiled, accepting wrong things. Consciences that are defiled, where people do things that are wrong and they don't feel anything about it. People can lie and cheat and steal and they don't have any feeling in their heart. And then mankind became an enemy of God. Note what it says there. The man became an enemy of God. In James chapter 4, verse 4, it's quite an amazing scripture. It says the second part, therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And man became a slave of sin, as we see in Romans chapter 6. Paul says, thanks be to God that though we were slaves of sin, we were slaves of sin. He says, now you have become obedient in your heart. So man became a slave of sin, an enemy of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, we became dead in our trespasses and our sins. He says, we walk according to the course of this world. In other words, we followed what everybody was following. We did what was the usual thing to do. We just followed a wrong path. It says we were walking according to the prince of the power of the air. Our life came under the dominion of evil powers and evil spirit. It says it's a spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. We were overcome by a force that was beyond ourselves. This is why if you tell an unsaved person to stop lying and stop drinking and stop womanizing or stop manizing, they cannot stop. They cannot stop because they don't have the power to stop in their own strength. There are those who are morally good who can do it out of strong discipline. But mankind truly is unable to live in a right way without God. And this is why we get surprised when somebody who claims to be a Christian, but they want to live like people who don't have Christ in their lives at all. How many of you know people like that? Eh? Yeah, they say they're children of God, but when you look at their life, it, it shows no evidence. They haven't allowed the new life to permeate them. They haven't allowed themselves to become matured Christians. And so men became dead in trespasses and sin. And we began to walk according to the course of eternal damnation. And because of the sin, man doesn't know the ways of God. I mean, the ways of God are too high for us to understand. Too high for us to comprehend. The choices we make and the decisions that we make do not line up with God. Just internally, we, we just choose what is wrong. And so the ways of God become foolishness to mankind. See, people who don't know, they look at what we do and following Christ as you do, coming to church as you do, and they believe it's foolishness. You know? I mean, we live in a world and a little clever, a little power. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? How many of you are kidding? Keep on going, clever. Can I see your hands? Okay. Okay, give a man who are not going to raise your hand no matter what I ask you. Yeah, but you know, we live in a world where, you know, people look at the things of God. You know, it looks very foolish when we receive Christ and we become born again. When we preach the gospel, when we come to church, when we are worshiping a while ago. I was watching some people, they were just standing there trying to look very important and nice. How many of you are standing, sitting next to somebody like that? Says, just say, who it was you. Yeah, you know. And you know, and so when you come to church, people want you to feel foolish when you follow Christ. When you, when you follow the call of God as a young person, they tell you you're wasting your life. You know? So, you know, the ways of God seem foolishness. You know? As we stand here and preach the gospel and, and you are listening to the preaching of the word and you've come to church to listen to the preaching of the word, some people don't understand the importance of this. But Paul says the preaching of the word is to them that perish foolishness. 
But to us who believe, it is the power of God. Hallelujah. So the ways of God become like foolishness to people. You know, I mean, having been a Christian at a young age, I remember when people told me how foolish I was. Yeah. Foolish to be a Christian. Those years, you know, when you left home to go to church, you wanted to hide your Bible because of the way people used to criticize. You know, and some of you are still doing it. The Lord have mercy on your soul. You know, Bible plastic is not the shop. Bible Go to church. It, it really was not nice. You know, go, you know, going to church. But you know, when you have been changed by God, it doesn't matter what people say. You know the change that God has brought. Can I hear an amen in your life? Yeah. And it's over many years where you realize whatever they thought was foolishness is not foolishness at all. Thank God that we chose to follow Christ. I said, thank God that we chose to follow Christ. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have. I see some of you haven't decided because you're not singing. To follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. I'm not going back. Not going back at all. I'm telling you. But you know, when you are young, you may want to cave under that pressure. Some of you, maybe you are the only Christian in your home. 11 years, 12 years old, 13 years old. And everyone is telling you, what has Jesus done for you? It's foolishness. And so mankind got into that. Mankind seems to be following a way that is path, that is right in their own eyes. And yet that way, even though it seems to be right in the eyes of men, in the end it leads to destruction. Yeah. So when Adam fell, because all of us are his descendants, and because all of us were inside of him in his loins, we also fell. And so we were born as sinners, as Romans 5.12 tells us, that through, just as one man, through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. So death spread to all men, because all have sinned. After Adam fell, he no longer produced a family that had the image of God. He no longer produced a family that has the likeness of God. Instead, he reproduced his own fallen image and likeness. And all of his children, including us, were fallen just in the likeness of Adam. And so the question is, what effect did this sin have on the family? Number one. Sin produced disrespect and rebellion against authority. Through the sin of Adam, now in the family, there was disrespect, rebellion. We see it in Genesis chapter 9, where Ham showed disrespect for his father Noah. He walked in and found his father naked. Instead of covering his father's nakedness, he laughed about it. This is what causes children to disregard their parents and parade the mistakes of their parents and laugh at their parents, natural parents and spiritual parents alike. This all came because of the sin of Adam. We see in Genesis 31, Rachel rebelling against her father Laban. When she left her home, she took some of the idols of Laban against what his father, what her father had said. In Genesis 35, we see how Reuben insulted God and insulted his father by laying with his father's concubines. So he took his father's concubines and had sex with them, this, 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 shaming his father. 
really, really showing dishonor to his father. These things are literally today. You know, people think they are being progressive by doing these things, but they are just being sinful as sin can come along by doing these things. Secondly, we see hatred and envy that came among family members. My goodness. I mean, you know, in our country, South Africa, with the murders that happen, particularly where people are killed, they are saying 80% of the times people are killed by somebody they know. The violence, 90% of the times. But you see, hatred and envy came among family members. In Genesis 4, we see how Cain killed Abel, his own brother. Killed his own brother because God had accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's offering. In Genesis 25 and 27, we see how Esau bore a grudge against Jacob, his brother. Because Esau had sold his birthright. We see in Genesis 37 how Joseph's brothers were jealous of him because of his dream. So you know, if people are jealous of you, you are not the only one. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. How can family be jealous of you? How can my own mother's children, my own father's children be jealous of me? But you know, it's all because of the sin that came into the world. Can I hear an amen? amen. Number three, there were improper and unprincipled, unprincipled relationships in marriage. In Genesis 4, we see how Lamech, Lamech committed polygamy by taking both Ada and Zillah as his wives. So he took two people to be his wives. We see in Genesis 6 how the sons of God being angelic beings cohabited and married the daughters of men. We see in Genesis 19 how Lot drank wine and committed incest with his two daughters. So when you see fathers abusing their children and their daughters, we just came from 16 days of activism against that violence against women and children. And this happened way back then. A man by the name of Lot drank alcohol. So even the drinking of alcohol, and I know this is alcohol boozing time. Not for you, by the way. But I mean, as you go around everywhere, even in, 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 in under-resourced communities, people are drinking. You know, I was, so, I was so hurt the other time. I happened to be driving somebody into uh, Orlando West on Friday night, and it was quite late, about 8 o'clock, and I passed by this place. I could see it from afar, you know, and there were hundreds of young people, hundreds, hundreds. You could tell from the music and the whatever that, and, and I inquired from the person I was with, and he said, no, this place has been here all along. You only cock a hundred friends to go in there, and the people drink and all that. I mean, it was still eight o'clock, Masalam. The way some of the people already were. I couldn't imagine how there would be at 10 o'clock or at 12 o'clock. But worst of all, you know, as people become intoxicated, their, their moral defenses lowers. And people start doing things. And I was looking at them and I was thinking, you know, I don't know if, if this is what our young people should be giving themselves to. This freedom that has been hard fought for, it wasn't for people to have disposable income to come and do this kind of thing. And you could see, you know, and beautiful girls. Hey! I tell you, when you looked at them, hey! Handsome guys. And you, some of them you look at, you can see these are 14, 15, 16, you know? And then you see a guy like me, walking with three 16-year-olds, this side and that side. But meets a sugar date. No, no, don't give me that look like you don't know what I'm talking about. No, don't try to be holy on me now. You know what I'm talking about. But you know, I was looking at them and I was thinking, you know, if God hadn't changed my life, huh? probably Because now, you know, when people in our age who have worked, now they have kind of in life, they've been able to amass something. They've got a lot of disposable income. But those who are still at entry level, <clears throat> they, they, they need to be assisted. So and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, probably this is what I would be doing. But thank God for the grace of God. I said, thank God for the grace of God. Yeah. 
Thank God for the grace of God. But it's a sin came into the world and people go onto a self-destructive path. And then we see self-centeredness, number four, and dishonesty coming into marriage. In Genesis 12, Abraham and Isaac, they said that their wives were their sisters in order to protect themselves. Hey! Number five, we see a lack of respect and love for children on the part of parents and relatives. In Genesis 19, Lord offered his two virgin daughters to a city of the Sodomites. In Genesis 29, Laban, Jacob's uncle, gave him at the first. Instead of giving someone else, he exchanged the girls and gave some other girl to Jacob. Number six, we see husbands and wives having divided interests. Lord's wife turned her back from her husband to look at Sodom and Gomorrah when God had told them, move forward, just walk all the way, don't look back. But she turned and looked back. We see in the house of Isaac, Isaac loved Esau. His wife, Rebecca, loved Jacob. So this is a divided home. So you see, you see the things that are happening in our homes. And you find in homes, you know, you know, if this one comes and asks this from mama, the answer is yes. Yeah. And if this one goes and asks from Papa, Papa, the answer is yes. And Papa protects this one, Mama protects this one. All of these things. They said it a long time ago. All because of the fall of men. We see wives usurping their husband's authority through deceptive means. Rebecca disguised her favorite son Jacob and made her, him to look like Esau in order to deceive the husband Isaac. That's in Genesis 27. We see parents favoring one child. How come that Jacob favored Joseph when he had all other children? He only favored the one. That's in Genesis 37. We see unfaithfulness between husbands and wives. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph. People talk about seduction. Seducing, even there are songs about seduction. I know I'm speaking to some innocent people here. But you know, people make seduction a nice thing. Yeah. They try to make it palatable, acceptable, trendy. Try to make it seem like it's being progressive. We're in sin. See, you are to be committed to your partner, one that you are married to, your husband or your wife, them and only them. If you seduce anybody, it should be them. Not anybody else. I know this is old-fashioned gospel, but I'm not going to stop preaching it. And whether you say amen or you don't say amen, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. And so you will see it in Genesis 39, seduction coming. And now we live in a time where people want to seduce others. I tell you. I tell you somebody, if, you know, I talk to a young person, I say, you young pastors, you watch yourself. Whether you are female or male, as a leader, there's males and females out there who are going to go out of the way to seduce you. Yeah. And you don't walk with your eyes all closed. Mm-mm. And you don't walk in an unguarded way. You've got to de build defenses and stay away. Yeah? No, because there are people who've come to church not for the reason of Christ. We are not fools. We know. We know. Yeah. And their number one agenda is to take you down. Yeah? Yeah. Even the smile is not real. It's fake. Yeah? Yeah. Even if they say they're blessed, there's no blessing. It's not the anointing that is real. It's another kind of anointing that is not spiritual at all. Look at your neighbor and say, what a shock. Look at your other neighbor and say, what an aftershock. Look at your other neighbor and say, what a sustained shock. But people allow themselves. You know, we've had to help people in so many times. This one seduced this one. This one took away this one. And people go there like a sheep going for slaughter. Huh? And, and it's so strange that people think they can get away with it. I don't know why I'm on this. Maybe somebody here would take. No, I'm not joking. I'm serious. Some of you, you here, you're busy with clearly somebody who has seduced you. You are sitting side by side. 
Yeah. God is trying to save you from destruction. I said, God is trying to save you from destruction. You remember the service, I'm telling you. You remember what I said. You sit there and look like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to fight to stay away from seduction. Then a lack of proper parental discipline. We see Eli's children. He didn't rebuke his sons for their sin and immorality in 1 Samuel 3. Eli is a priest. His children would go to church and have sex with the women in church. Hey. My goodness. Samuel the prophet didn't raise his children. Instead, his sons turned aside to dishonest gain and bribes. As people came to him for prophecies and he wouldn't charge people for giving them the word of the Lord, their sons would intercept those people and say, our father sent us to come and get money from you. Yeah. And you see, the family therefore, which began as God's vehicle for transformation, change, instilling spirituality, family which was God's vehicle to bring character, ministry, bring fruitfulness in us, was rendered ineffective by sin. And so, part of God's redemptive plan is to first of all get you, me, born again as individuals. But, as God has started with you, he wants this to spread to the rest of your family. Oh yeah. God wants to reconstruct families. God wants to transform families. God wants to change families. God's answer to a dysfunctional family is Calvary, is Pambano. God's answer is the place where Jesus died on the cross for men's sins. It is through the cross that God restores not only our inward spirit man, he also redeemed every area of man's life, including the family. God is not just interested in changing you, he wants to change your whole family as well. You know, it's also nice when you see God starting to work in your family. It's a wonderful thing when I look around in church and I see husband and wife and their children coming to church, sometimes sitting side by side, and, and there they are as a whole family. It's a wonderful thing to know that on Sunday morning, we lock the house at home. We are all going to church to worship the living God. It's a beautiful thing. We may not be all there right now. Maybe some of you, your wife is not coming to church. Your husband is not coming to church. Your children are not coming to church. Your parents are not coming to church. But please do not ever be discouraged because God is working in your family. Can I hear an amen? And when God comes into our lives, he wants to fulfill what Malachi chapter 4 says. Verse 5 and 6, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the earth with a curse. So God is interested in the home, in the family. And so when God gets hold of one person, watch this, Pastor it is through that one person that the work of God is going to spread to the rest of the family. Can I hear an amen, Bazaar? Let me give you a few examples. We read in Acts chapter 10 about Cornelius, a man who prayed. He was not a believer. But nonetheless, this man did good works, prayed continually before God, did charitable work. One day, an angel appeared to this one man, Cornelius, who as the priest of his home, prayed for his family and God sent a message to Peter who came not just to Cornelius but to the entire household of Cornelius. So when you read in Acts chapter 10 as Peter is preaching he's not just preaching to one person he's preaching to the whole family. Yeah Cornelius including some of the people who came along. When you hear in verse 44, where the Bible says, and as he spoke, the Holy Spirit fell upon all that had his word. This was in the home. This was in the family. This happened in the family setup when the Holy Spirit fell on the family. And God changed the entire family. It's a beautiful thing to see the Holy Spirit fall on an entire family. Remember 1979, you know, after God filled with the Holy Spirit in July, I made it a habit to wake up early in the morning, a habit that I've kept to date. And I'd pray at four in the morning, you know, it's my prayer time, I'm used to that. 
And I, I prayed, and, and after doing that for a number of weeks, my elder sister, Ausclodine, joined me in that prayer. And so the two of us would pray, and we'd pray for the whole family. And then what happened was uh, uh, we heard our parents in the bedroom praying. Now, you know, my mom and my dad were churchgoers. Mama wasn't born again at the time. My father had been saved, but, you know, hadn't been equipped, you know, to understand fully what that was, even though he lived the life. And here they were praying in the bedroom, but preceding my mother praying like that, there was a day when I was sleeping at home, because I used to sleep in the dining room, and there was a television in the dining room, and my mom and my sister was here. She knows the story. Chris, they were watching television, and they just happened to be engaged in a conversation together. And, and I could hear my name coming up. They were talking about me. <laughs> so I, I just woke up at the time when I heard them talking about me, so I pretended to be in deep sleep because <laughs> I wanted to hear what they were saying. And my mother, in a way, was saying to Chris, my sister, she doesn't really know what happened to me because I have so changed. You know, I'm praying, I'm nicer, I'm no longer... You were not there. She didn't say, I'm no longer moody. I'm going to cut you off from this church. <laughs> and she was saying, my sister Chris, I had prayed for her not long uh, uh, ago from that time, and she had gotten filled with the Holy Spirit herself. And so she tells my mother, she said, no, the reason is like this is because of this. And she's explaining, and I'm listening, even though I'm acting like I'm asleep. And I could tell that somehow, you know, my mother had been watching me and probably our sisters, and she had been seeing the transformation in our lives. See, the best sermon that will transform your family is the sermon of your lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you. Your family, they may act like they don't like you going to church. They don't like it when you are giving a tithe. They don't like it when you are Mara. When you are not there, they are talking about you. And they are saying, we don't know what happened. This guy used to be so short-tempered. This person, they used to be such a womanizer or a manizer, whatever you are. And we don't know what has happened. You know? And the best sermon, why? Because I found out, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like leaven. The kingdom of God works like, okay, those of you who don't know leaven, yeast. Tomoso. When you take yeast and put it in dough, that yeast works itself into that dough. Slowly, silently, mara definitely, and continually. Yeah, yeah. When God finds one person in a family and changes their life, that one person is like family Goham Gomezulu. And you are in there working and changing things and so on. And we didn't realize that the way we were living was affecting our parents. And I remember that particular morning as we prayed and we overheard our parents praying, we went to the bedroom to join them and we woke up the rest of the family. And so all of us went to the bedroom and we were praying. And I was kneeling not far from my mother. And I remember her prayer. That morning, she was receiving Christ, repenting for her sins, asking God to come into her life. And that's the day my mother got born again. In the same way, I see your family getting born again. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. Because when God finds one person in the family, it is through that one person that God is going to reach towards the others. And that is if you live the life. The Dem Conto here was giving an example about him. You don't mind me putting you on television again. I was not okay. She's still at the back there. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's at the back. Yeah. Okay, I was not right. You're still at the back. This lady over here. I was not right. Lamona, Lamona, TV. Lamona, Okay. if you are. I like the word smile. There he is. Now, now, she became a Christian first. And I've heard this story so many times in our church. And started coming to our church when we were in homemakers. And so Tatem Kondo told me one day, he said, you know, you know what made me come to church, Bishop? You know what made me come to church? I said, no. He said, it, my wife. I said, what did she tell you? Did she say we must go to church? He said, no, no, not like that. Because, you know, there's no man who's going to go to church when you tell him to go to church. You ladies, you must remember that. You don't ever tell him, he's not coming. But how he came, he said, you know, 
We always go through, you know, as couples we go through things, you know. And he says, you know, it used to strike me, you know, you'd find that maybe Saturday we had some issue. You know what I'm saying? Couples. You also have issues, right, my brother? Are you married? Are you married? You also have issues. Uh, or you do? Is your wife around here somewhere? You also have issues. Yeah. So you have issues. So you fight. Or you have a... Yeah, what? Intensive discussion. Yeah. So he said, but then she'd go to church on Sunday, and when she comes back, she'd be so nice. You know, it would be like there was no squabble on Saturday or on Sunday morning. And she would be so nice. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I would ask God, what is that? What did she, what did they give her in that church? He started being curious. He said, no, there must be something. Maybe there's something they give them. That takes the squabble out of them. It's going to be something. So he said, then he decided, after she would drop her, he would act like he's driving away, then he would stop the car, reverse, <laughs> and open the window and listen. I think many of the men can say amen to that. <laughs> yeah. So he said, as I listened, I heard something that started to change my life. I heard something that was real, that was impacting. So then afterwards, then I decided to attend the church, but I wouldn't tell my wife. Of course. Oh, why? <laughs> so I would bring her to church, drop her, act like I'm leaving, and then park the car somewhere and sit at the back and listen. <laughs> and he said, then one day as you're preaching, when you made the altar call, Hwaritsu. Now I don't know how to say it in English. Just say it to your neighbor. Hwarit. I say it in English. I don't know what that means. Hwaritsu. Yeah? Hwaritsu. Yeah? He says, as you made the altar call, I don't know what made me stand. Nor do I know what made me come to the front. But I just came to the front and I got saved. And then I understood why my wife was coming all along. <laughs> Through a family. Here they are now. With the whole family. I'm not just talking about them, I'm talking about you. Yeah, I'm talking about you. I see your family also coming because of the gospel that is preached through your lifestyle. God is concerned about your family. Yeah. See, when God touches one member in the family, just like Levin, yeah, they may not agree with your theology. They may not like you shouting and saying hallelujah. They may not like the fact that you tithe, but they cannot deny the fact that you are living a different life. And they know you were not like that. Yeah. And they know there is something that God has done. So we see God going into the house of Cornelius. Watch the other house God went into, the house of Lydia. In Acts chapter 16, we see the house of Lydia, all of them being water baptized. And then in Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer, the man who was standing guard over Paul and Silas and the other prisoners. And on that night, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. And God sent a heavenly earthquake. See, the heavenly earthquake does not break houses. It breaks chains and fetters. When the heavenly earthquake came, the prisoners' chains were undone and the gates were opened. And so the jailer who was standing guard, when he saw the gates opened, he was shocked and he assumed that probably all the prisoners had run off and he had to give an account. So he took out his sword to try and kill himself. And Paul says, I, I do yourself no harm. And says, no, so. we are still here. And this man ran to Paul and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved, you and your household. Yeah, God is not only interested in touching you, but he wants to touch your household as well. Therefore, we must obey God's word, whatever it says, and play our role as husbands and wives, as mothers, as children, because it is through us that God can make his Holy Spirit like leaven come into our families. God wants to see your family members changed and transformed. And the thing is this, they may not go to church, 
but the church is brought to them through your lifestyle. And when you are among them, we will see God changing and transforming their lives. And it is for you, my brother, my sister, to make that decision. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do all that is necessary to live to the glory of God in my family so that I can see God touch my family members. And all those prayers that you're praying for them, they're not going to waste. They may not tell you, but God is working on their lives. I've seen it with some of our family members as we've prayed for them over years. Many of them got saved. But some you find they were very, very stubborn. They didn't want to get saved at all. Up until some of them on the last day or the last days of their life on earth. I remember very well my late grandmother, grandfather rather, on my mother's side. He was one of those that you could never tell, say anything about being saved. He didn't want to hear a thing. Though he was a churchgoer, but not this pulos or stuff. And I remember the week where he took very ill, as I was praying for him, the Holy Spirit said to me, he's going to pass on in the next few days. So I decided I'm going to visit him again and try him again. Because on other occasions, I tried to lead him to Christ. But he was not willing. And so this time around, as I went to see him, when I got into the bedroom, he didn't even wait for me to bring up the subject. He brought it up himself. Because you see, when people reach those last days, even the last hours, I don't know if you've ever been there, some of you, when some people pass on. I've been there many times. And I've seen sometimes, sometimes those last few minutes or those last few hours where it's almost like they are hanging between earth and eternity. They are conscious of the world beyond and the world present. And if they're not saved, you can almost see the fear in their eyes because they kind of see on the other side where they're going. And they realize all of a sudden everything we've been trying to tell them about life beyond the grave is true. Yeah. Many of them, some of them say, no, it's just a story. Some of them lived the way they wanted to live and they gave themselves to things. But now at that moment, they realize that it's true. In fact, I heard a story. Medical doctor told the story of a young man who actually was actually dying. And he said, this young man, this medical doctor himself, you know, he's a doctor. He's, they think life just ends on the earth and this heaven thing and life after thing, he didn't believe in it. And the medical doctor said, this young man was kind of about to die because medical people know, you know, when you are about to die. He said, this young man screamed, screamed. Oh, doctor, please, don't let me go. Don't let me go. Don't let me go. Doctor, please, my God, I'm going. I'm dying. I'm going to hell. Please don't let me go. Don't let me go. He said, this young man, nice, decent young man, yeah, a hunk of a guy, yeah. But when that moment came, hunk of a fella. So the guy screamed, doctor, don't let me go, don't let me go. And then, you know, he went into a coma and the doctor worked hard to resuscitate this guy. Guy came back, oh, doctor, don't let me go. And then this doctor used to be a churchgoer years ago. He said, when I saw this young man doing this, and panicking like he's panicking, he said, I'm a doctor. I realized, I think this young man sees something that I'm not seeing. And whatever it is that I'm seeing, I better take it seriously. And this doctor said, I started thinking about my life. And I started find, trying to find a way to help this young man. And then I remembered the Lord's prayer, Fantuka Af. And then he said, then I remembered some someone that I heard from some church somewhere when I was young, where they talked about us receiving Christ. He said, and I led this young man to Christ. And then this young man then all of us said, oh, no, it's different now, it's different now. Even if I go, it's different now, it's different now. And thank God he didn't die, he lived. But he was born again. And the doctor, the doctor, the doctor, the doctor after that experience went straight to a church of a born again minister and said, Munna, I had a harrowing experience today in my consultation rooms. Munna, Agong is there life after death? Yeah. I've been there. When I've seen them hang between the two, I've been there. Sometimes you can see the expression in their face. I remember the one family member, you could see them kind of shaking their head. It's not like, am I dreaming? Is this happening to me? As their spirit was 
gradually slipping out of the body. Yeah. And sometimes you pray and wish they could have done something about it when they were still alive on earth. You wish they could. And sometimes they're, some are lucky enough by God's grace that before they go, God gives them a chance like my grandfather. He asked me, he said, my son, that thing you used to tell me about, is it real? I said, it's real. He said, I don't know how. Can you help me? Can you help me? Show me the way. Help me. How can I get to God? And I explained to him the gospel. And I told him, this is how you need to get saved. And then he said, all right. And then I prayed with him. And he received Christ. Two days thereafter, he went home to be with the Lord. Our mother, when she passed on, yes, a few years ago, same thing happened. Just, you know, around well, New Year's Day. When I went to see her, you could see she's going. You could see. I made sure again. I make her receive Christ again for the thousandth time. We just want to be sure. <laughs> Even though I was sure she's saved, but you want to do it again. Abazalana, it's a scary thing to go on the other side without Jesus. Yeah. But you see, you may be the person they call. Because when that moment of truth they come, it comes. They know who to call for. When that moment of truth comes, they know who has the answer to it. So God has planted you as leaven in your family. And some of you who are here, I'm wondering when is that moment coming in your life? I'm praying to God that you don't leave this place without having said yes to Jesus Christ. Because your life on this earth comes to an end. And it's a sad thing for anybody to ever have to leave this world without having done what is right to be able to meet their creator. You may joke about it, you may laugh about it, but I've seen too many people on their deathbed. There's nothing to laugh about, my dear. It doesn't matter how cancer mascara, it doesn't matter how cancer ponzi, it doesn't matter what's going, it doesn't matter how beautiful you are, it doesn't matter what a hunk you are, it's a moment of truth. You forget everything about everything because you are faced with the truth. You don't have to wait for that last moment. You can take that moment right now. You can make that decision right now in this place this morning and say, today, I want to receive Christ as my Savior and Lord. Come on now, give the Lord a big shout and a big hand in this house. You can do it right now. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable moment. And you can come today and say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Nobody moving around, please, and nobody leaving. It's a holy moment. I'm going to ask you. People are walking around, please, if you can find your places quickly so that we don't have any more people moving around, please. Heads bowed, eyes closed in this place. If you are here this morning and you say, you know, I haven't yet invited Jesus Christ into my life. I realize today there's life beyond the grave I don't want to die and go to hell. The day I leave this world, I want to go home into the hands of my heavenly father. I want to go home and be with Jesus. And this morning, I want to invite Christ that he should come into my life, change me, make me a child of God. I really want to be a child of God. If that is you, and you want to make things right with God, and you need prayer, just raise your hand right where you are without any shame, without any fear. This is your day of destiny. Thank you for those hands. Raise them high. Raise them high. See, on that day, people will remember how ashamed they felt when they were given a chance. When that day comes, people will remember the many opportunities they let pass by them and they felt too ashamed to do what is right. Just raise your hand, my friend. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. May I ask all those of you who raised your hands, would you please stand on your feet right where you are? I want to ask the Christians just to pray very silently where you are in the spirit, please. If you raise your hand, just stand. Thank you. Thank you, my dear. Keep standing. Keep standing. Keep standing all over. Thank you. You can put your hands down, but just stand on your feet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just pray, Bazalana, please. Just softly, right where you are. Pray, pray, pray. There's a tug of war between heaven and hell right now. It's the spirits of men that are being fought over. Heaven and hell fighting over 
people's eternal destiny. Some of you, you know you should be saying yes, but you're still seated. You know in your heart you should be standing, but you're still seated. You know in your heart you should lift your hand and you should respond, but you're still seated. I beg you. I beg you. Please don't say no. I beg you. I beg you. Have the courage to stand on your feet today because this is the day of change and transformation. This is the day of destiny where God is turning your life right around all over this place. If you are not standing yet and you know you should be standing with these people, stand on your feet right now where you are. Go ahead and stand. Say, Bishop, count me in. Count me in. I'm not ashamed of this. I'm going to ask Christ to come into my life. That's right. Just stand. That's right. Don't be afraid. Just stand. Even if you didn't raise your hand. Thank you, my dear. God bless you. Thank you. Some more people are standing. Just stand. There you are. Just stand. Thank you, young man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Stand. Don't, 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 don't battle with the decision. Don't fight with it. You'll regret why you said no. You will regret why you postponed. You'll regret why you allowed shame to keep you back. Because on that day, God's not going to ask you about the shame. God's going to say you had an opportunity. You were given an opportunity to do something about it, but you did nothing about it. Just enjoy all these people who are standing. Eternity hangs in the balance. Just stand and join them. Say, here am I. I want my life to be changed. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, thank you. Thanks to all of you. I want to pray for you. This is such an important decision. This is the most life-changing prayer you'll ever pray. This is the most life-changing event that can ever happen to you. Of all the things that we do in church, for me, this is the most important. Because this is the main reason why Jesus came. Jesus came to come and seek and save those who are lost. I want to ask all of you who are standing, I want to pray for you. Would you just come from where you're standing? Even the people in the foyer, just make your way to the front. And please, as you come, take all your belongings, all right? Your Bible, your bag, your purse. Just come, please, walk to the front. Come, let's pray together. Come, let's pray together. Come, let's pray together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.